0: You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Tell me on a Sunday, coming after Gianna's gift, but the line is coming. Gianna's gift gets it by a head on the wire for John Court. Brandon Jaggers. You've said it all, comes up alongside of jurisdiction.
1: Jurisdiction digs down deep. You've said it all, these two to the wire photo. Noses up and down was a 20 to 1 jurisdiction or 3 to 2, you've said it all.
0: And me, C.C. brought us.
1: I may have arms straight as nails, and the closest my gut comes to a six-pack is drinking one. I'm a man, and I'm a man you're going to have to deal with when you come to Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs>
0: Hello everybody, welcome to episode 125 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, the post-breeders cup edition. Before we get to that, I want to introduce Alan Schneider. Alan, why don't you give us a report on our uh, other co-host, Mr. Brandon Jaggers and his family?
1: I think that's a good idea. Uh, Mr. Brandon Jaggers has had a hell of a an autumn thus far, right? He doesn't get to come on here very often, but in addition to having a beautiful baby girl, his wife... Sarah Clay just became Ninth District Circuit Court Judge. I get confused with the judgeships. My bottom line: she won, she won. So uh, he is now the wife of a of a an important judge. He's a cat man, and uh, they're celebrating. I, I hope they're celebrating. She'll she'll do a wonderful job. And hats off to Brandon and Miss Clay, Mrs. or was it Mrs. Jaggers, Miss Clay, whatever. I guess he'll have to take her name now, right? I will call it's- him.
0: If you remember, remember Newhart back in the day, great the guy, show. Yeah, the guy on there took his wife's last name. I think Brandon's going to do the same. Brandon, Brandon Clay, Clay.
1: Mister Brandon Clay. Yeah, I mean the Honorable Mister Brandon Clay. Oh, that might be pushing it. Uh, yeah,
0: he's, there's nothing. There's no honor there.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But anyway, nonetheless, congratulations to Sarah.
0: So. Uh, real quick before we get to our guest, let's just, uh, let's recap Breeders Cup real quick. Uh, real quick. How did you, how did you enjoy it? And, and, and was it all that it was meant to be?
1: Well, uh, I intended to go, uh, had, CC had me a ticket and, but I'm an old man and I believe I've got a little knee issue going on right now. So walking around all day did not seem to be the most ideal thing to do. I'm going to have to get this knee taken care of first, but that said, I still had a ball at the house while you guys have fun at the racetrack. I probably, I probably had a little easier time getting to the bathroom and maybe a cheaper beer and, and some of the crowds that I heard, but overall I had a pretty good beer's cup. I won't say it was great. I did turn a nice profit, but as you know how it is, right? Uh, CC it's like whenever you're winning, um uh, you still feel like you should have won more, right? But you try not to let that uh, bother you too much. And I know you had a, a, several good tickets too, right?
0: Well, I struggled all the way up until um, the turf. I was down a lot and I, I caught the exact and the try and the turf. And I caught the same thing in the classic. So that got me out of the, out of the trap.
1: That's good. But you know, Olympiad, um uh, was big for both of us, correct? Olympiad was big and, uh, uh, the turf was not that hard to hit, to be honest with you, because we got a warlike goddess is a underneath grade one animal.
2: So well, but...
0: one of the things I, I think everything changed Friday night. Now we did our, our, uh, seminar pod last You always month. have to t-
1: take those with a grain of salt because your mind is, uh, changes as yeah. things, as uh, the situations
0: change. Everything changes on Friday night. Well, I mean, we knew that the Europeans dominated the turf races. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got to give credit to Jeremy Plonk. I, I really enjoy his uh, little 30-minute uh, YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And he he said, watch the flags because there's going to be a lot of wind on Saturday. Oh, yeah watch the flags if the flags are blowing to the right that means that the horses have a headwind going up the backstretch if they're blowing to the left that means that the wind's going to be at their back going up the backstretch well this is like Jackie's Warrior life is good uh society society was a horse that I liked and you know and after our, you know we investigate the wind I mean she's almost a toss at that point so that's, uh, that, that helped me out a whole lot. So I, I got to credit Jeremy Plonk for that. that. That was, uh, that was pretty smart on on his end. And then, you know,
3: help, helping me
0: get profitable on the day, though, was, uh, in the, the last two races, you know, with, uh, flight, I had flight line over Olympiad. I'm red, yeah. Yeah. I'm red boarding now, but I mean, I had to change things up a little bit, but, and then I had the, had some nice hits in the, uh, in the turf, but, uh, uh, you, any, any other thoughts on the day? Um, on afterwards.
1: Of course, there's several races and if anytime, you know, people want to talk about hammering the Breeders Cup, if you can play it 20 races or whatever, or or two days and counting the, the previous races and, and you you can turn a profit, you're doing well. So congratulations, number one. It's not, yeah, everybody wants to crush it and you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but to turn a profit over the next time is, it, it, that's nothing to sneeze at, quite frankly, when you're really going after some shots. Um, I will say, I was going to ask you, like, what, what opinions do you think you're right about? What were you wrong about off the top of my head from a personal standpoint? I was right about a few things, but I was wrong about a couple of things too. I, the, the favorites that I was against, I was, I was right. I was against Golden Pals, against Jackie's Warrior. And, and no fairness. I was, I would never saw the, the big thing about society. though society wasn't a favorite. The problem is, is I didn't beat those horses. I, I was able, to, I was right about the horses being, uh, so acceptable, but I picked the wrong horses to beat them um so i would say i was right i was right about a few other things that's was something i was really wrong about i know there was something i was really wrong about but it must have been on the previous day a couple of europeans in the sprint hmm. uh the sprint races in the turf sprints. i think i was wrong about but uh overall i thought it was actually a pretty formful for breeders cup and Malafat and blue stripe and clarier really put on a show didn't they
0: yeah, you know, blue stripe was the, the one I was interested in a little bit and I should have, I didn't bet that race vertically, but I did use her in the horizontals and that, that could have really boosted my pick four payoffs that I had. I don't pick 40 too much at all, but
1: yeah. I, I heard,
0: and this is pure hearsay. I heard Jackie's warrior had two acrylic patches and I don't know if that's true or not, but he was wearing, you know, he had some feet issues. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I just didn't <laughs> see the big
1: deal. Jackie's warrior. I just, I'd said, I've been on record numbers. I, I don't know. The horses beat nobody this year. I didn't think the horses looked that good this year. And I think maybe people got suckered in with the, the, the thought of the pace, but when, you know, when it jockey, see, there's no pace, someone's going to go and someone did. Uh, but even then I just, it was a very good effort. Of course, I bet Kamari personally. So I was still wrong, but there's no way I was taking Jackie's warrior three to five. And I didn't know that about the the, the things on her feet too. So.
0: I don't know if that's true or not. That 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 like I said, I probably shouldn't have said that, but that's that was uh that was a rumor I heard. But uh, uh golden pal. What about golden pal? There was a little bit of controversy there that somebody said the horse was held at the gate a little bit. I, I
1: try to say that. I I I you know, sometimes that happens. I I couldn't make it out. I was a little more sick of the fact that I let Caramel get off a of forty two to one and didn't have a nickel because that was one of the gr- craziest overlays of the day. And I would also add that now I'm wishing Michelle had put change of control in the race because, uh, change of control would have beat Caravelle, uh, with a better trip a couple races back. But you know, that said,
0: I mean, yeah. I was there both days. Fortunately enough, somebody gave me a ticket to both days. Uh, it was Friday was as beautiful a day I've ever seen at the racetrack. It was, everything was beautiful, the trees and everything was just gorgeous, the colors. And then of course Saturday was great weather. Here's my thing though. That place is way too small.
1: Oh yeah. I figured that.
0: Such a big event and it, and the lines for concessions were way too long and it's there. Everybody's packed in there like sardines. I, I, I've been saying this for years. I think it is time to tear down the grandstand of Keeneland and let's build this bad boy up. Cause you, you don't have a lot of room around the first turn, but you do have room, uh, up, up near the quarter pole you know, uh, so I, I think, I mean, you could go up, you could probably build six or seven floors. Hong you know, Kong style, right? You could have all kinds of views of the racetrack. You could have views of the paddock. And I, I just, yeah, it, it's, it, it's time. They've got, I know they've got the money. You know, they, they've probably got some kind of fund that they, they put away, you know, this type of money it, it probably would cost a half million or half billion dollars to do it. But um uh, if they're going to host breeders cups that that's that's a i think that's something they need to take into account going forward uh,
1: you know something that bugs me a little bit when when the breeders cup is over and people say oh well I'm, racing's done for the year i'm like what, what are you talking about i mean church uh, that churchill meets really good i like the Churchill meet they got the clark handicap coming up and they've got ter- and it, their fairgrounds is opening up soon right and we got a really nice turfway meet coming up i, I don't understand how people think that way uh it's not like it's like the end of the year or something like that. You know, it's like they're still racing. They're still good races. So I've never really understood that. You know what I'm talking about? You hear people say that, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, even uh, New York, uh, I think way around Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is always good racing around uh, in, in Delmar and uh, Aqueduct. You know, they'll, they'll run the cigar mile. I think maybe they've moved those races to the first weekend in December, but those are always good, good races. I remember, uh, was it last year? It was, uh, the, the Chad Brown horse that fought with Mo Donegal. What was the name of the? Zandon. Zandon. Zandon and Mo Donegal was in that race. And then, uh, you know, and then uh, the week before that, we had the Clark and the, the Jockey Club and, and uh, the Fall City. And, and then the,
1: the Derby winner came from Turfway. And then we had uh, the Derby runner up came from the fairgrounds. And right. I mean, just, yeah. they all come this time of year. I think Epicenter ran at, uh, Churchill in the uh, fall meet last year. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a circuit guy. I mean, I'm, I'm an unabashed, unapologetic circuit guy. And I think the circuit really never stops here in Kentucky. And if you know your racing, uh, if you know your races and stuff, it's, it's fun all year round. So it's what you make of it.
0: All right. So it's, uh, it's time for our guest and then, uh, to, to, uh, help us interview our guest in the absence of Mr. Jaggers uh we, we've got a uh a special guest to bring on the the special guest if i follow you i follow you. you will if you will so without further ado let's get to it okay alan we're going to uh to bring on a friend of ours uh I, I think you and i both consider him to be one of the best and uh he's basically the the uh the simulcast voice of churchill downs and we're talking uh none other than joe christopher joe how you doing
3: Fantastic. It's a honor, a pleasure to be able to you know, jump into the chair and co host with you guys tonight. I mean when you try to fill the <laughs> shoes of the almighty Brandon Jaggers, that's like putting on a pair of fifteen size shoes when you only wear tens. But I'm gonna <laughs> do my best. <laughs> you already have, that's great. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> that brought a tear to my eye. Joe, uh, did you survive Breeders' Cup?
3: I did. Came on the other side of it uh, with a, a pretty sizable profit. Um, Cody's Wish was a key horse and then uh, Elite Power. They happened to be in the same pick three, and uh, my finger kind of got a little bit sore hitting the repeat button on that pick three. So that uh, that made my weekend – you know, when you're a horse player and you think you've got some good opinions and you cash a few tickets, you always feel like you should have won more. But uh, good Breeders' Cup betting-wise and obviously some tremendous memories uh, that, you know, will last as long as we love this game. Were you there? I was in my living room on my couch, and then Natalie and I spent some time together at uh, Breeders' Cup in Lexington just at her place betting, and enjoying the day. You know, if I go there, man, I've been to so many Breeders' Cups and so many Derbies and big events. It's like a social outing, yes. and, and that's great, but I really just wanted to focus on the races and focus on the betting and focus on the experience and not so much the social aspect of it, you know?
0: Do you, more. you Do you have any opinion on where Flightline stacks up in the hierarchy of great horses?
3: Well, I mean, I get all sides of the argument. He only ran six times, right? But as far as horses that I've seen run, not even close. Best horse I've ever seen run live. Seen some really good runs. ones run live. Can't compare him to a Secretariat Spectacular bid or any of the other horses in the argument because I've never seen those horses run live. I just know that video when they show Secretariat demolishing that Belmont field by 20 lengths, He didn't beat anything, and Flightline defeated a hell of a good field in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and he did it for fun. So I don't think we're going to be able to compare anyone to him for quite some time, but I hope I'm wrong.
0: And uh, got a big day Saturday at uh, Churchill Downs. Why don't you tell us about what's going on?
3: Yeah, claiming crown, uh, full fields, great betting races, A little bit scared when the entries came out that there were going to be a bunch of horses from parks and Lone Star and Florida and horses that I really don't know that well. But when I looked at the overnight and I haven't looked at the PPs yet, I don't know if you guys have a lot of familiarity with horses that have been competing in Kentucky on a regular basis. Super excited about some of these races. I'm like, Man, how the heck is that horse eligible for that race kind of thing? So you got the claiming crown on Saturday and then you've got three stakes on Sunday. So, you know, even after Breeders Cup, we come right back at you with a huge weekend, you know, leading eventually into Thanksgiving weekend. And man, it's kind of crazy to think, but Fairgrounds opens up, you know, a week from Friday. So, amazing. you know, I got That's half amazing. an eye on that track too. So it, it's, uh, it's getting real for sure.
0: And one of those horses that is eligible for the claiming crown is Beverly Park, who's won 12 races this year already. Uh, My choice for the Vox Populi award that I don't have a vote for, but but looking forward to uh, Beverly Park in the, uh, I think it's the six furlong, uh, Ready's Rocket
3: Express. Can we get a campaign out for that? Because I said that on the air, but I don't know if you guys heard me, but I mentioned, you know, that horse for Vox Populi because you know, rapid reflux or Redux or whatever won that award several years ago. Similar kind of horse, and now lately we've just been giving it to the best horse. I think Hot Rod Charlie won last year. Authentic, you know, won a couple years ago. But you know, I'd like to campaign for uh, Lynn Cash and a horse that's just been absolutely amazing this year.
2: You stole the
1: thunder there, Joe. We on this show when we had Lynn Cash on, we said Box Popular for Beverly Park. I put it on Twitter months ago. And, uh, we've been, we've been actually championing that for a while. And ever since then, he, the horse just keeps winning. And, uh, so yeah, I'm all for it. I, I, I thought the intent was to give it to horses such as Beverly Park or Rapid uh, Redux, but it seems like it's kind of slipped away from that. So to me, it's a no brainer, but we'll see.
0: Okay, guys, let's get to the main event. I think we have our guest online waiting. And, uh, you know, for those of us that, Follow Kentucky Racing, you will recognize names like Gianna's Gift and Jurisdiction, who were both mentioned in our introduction earlier. Gianna's Gift just won a Keeneland recently, going wire to wire, and Jurisdiction won a race on Kentucky Derby Week back in the spring. Our guest tonight was the trainer of both of those gritty runners. What you may not know is that our guest tonight was very talented in another sport, professional wrestling. He was the inaugural Ohio Valley Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, and he also held the OVW tag team championship as well as the hardcore title. This man can train a $40 winner and he can also hit you in the back with a folding chair. <laughs> and folks, he's not going to like what our very own Brandon Jaggers had to say about him earlier. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Frank Miller, otherwise known in the, in the program as Jerome F. Miller. Otherwise known as TPT, or Trailer Park Trash, Mr. Miller, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good.
2: Why, why does this Brandon Jagger's name sound for me?
0: Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We, it's going to be a little bit down the road, but we we we're going to have to address this. And does
2: he, work, uh, does, he is, does he work janitorial over on the front side?
0: <laughs> well, after you're done with him, it, that may be the case. <laughs> But anyway, anyway, Frank, I I do have some questions for you before I turn this over to Joe. Uh, Frank, uh, are you based at Churchill? Where where are you based?
2: I'm I'm at, uh, uh, it's called several names, but I'm I'm at Trackside Sports Spectrum.
0: I got you. Okay. Uh,
2: Churchill Churchill Training Facility. Used to be old Louisville Downs Harness Track years ago. Holler. Oh, yeah. I I love Louisville Downs.
0: Spent a lot of time there. A -hmm. lot of time. So, uh,
2: I, I was there How like big? In as a kid until they uh, changed the rules that you had to be 16 to come in. And my grandparents, uh, you know, my grandfather trained horses. And, and they, uh, you know, they said if they can't take me, they're not going. And, uh, and it was the last time they ever went. Oh, wow.
0: How big is your stable now?
2: I've got seven. And, uh, you know, we're looking to build. We've got uh, a few to claim, uh, which is impossible. Uh, I got home... Left the house at 3.30 this morning and got home at 5.30 today because I was trying to claim today. And then one day scratch late and one, you know, we got shook and blah, blah, blah. And that's the story. You know, that's just how it is. So,
0: How difficult is the claiming game right now? I know it's
2: pretty <laughs> uh, tough. Uh, man, uh, uh, you know, the, the the theory is, right. you know, it's always been this way. But, you know, if you walk in there and they just hand you a claim slip, you got a room full of people, you usually shit your pants because you're thinking you <laughs> can. What do they know that I don't? <laughs> you know, right. You know, there's 20 people in here, and I'm knowing somebody's cleaning this horse. Oh shit. <laughs> well,
0: you know, we we talked to Chelsea Moisey back in back last winter at Oakland. Yeah. I think she said. It was,
2: I like Chelsea. Chelsea's a good girl. She,
0: she said good, good it was good horseman. Good horseman. She's uh, she said it was nothing for a, a 30 or 40 way shake on certain horses. You know, at Oakland. So I yeah, I'd say uh, Oh man. Machine, it's, yeah.
2: You know, it's not, you know, and it's always been that way, but maybe not as much now. You know, they're, they're, you know, back in the day, you know, I claimed a horse one time. I went a 19 way shake, Uh, and this was over 10 years ago, I know, maybe 12, 13 years ago. Um, but you know, it was, you know, certain horses. It wasn't four or five horses at every damn race.
0: All right. What, uh, where would you like to see your stable at? What size could you handle?
2: And uh, you know I'm a 20 20 range guy. Uh, you know if I ever make it through that, uh, I'd be ha- happy. I don't want any more than that. I don't want to be anything huge. I'm you know and honestly I'm happy you know to get to 10 and keep 10. Uh, I like to be hands on. So uh, just my personal belief in me personally anyway. It's kind of hard to be hands on when you get too many, and not. And, and my hats off to the to the guys that have a lot more than that and can do it. You know. Uh, I just don't want to, I don't want it to, to have ever become work. So
0: at the end of this meet, you're going to go to the fairgrounds again,
2: man. you know, I have the last couple of years and it's, and I've been depressed ever since (laughs) I'm not, I'm going to have to stay home this year. Uh, just looking at what the horse, you know, the horses I've got and where where I think they need to compete. And, uh, I'm always looking at the finances of the owners and what's best for them and what's best for the horses is obviously the main two concerns. And it's just, you know, just, you know, at this point this year, I think we need to stay home and, and, uh, you know, save, save the owners a little money, but, you know, honestly, we're probably not looking to run a ton at Turfway. Um, I'm not really a big fan of, of freezing cold weather racing, but you know it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. But my horses come first to me, and you know, I know I wouldn't like to be out there running when it's fifteen twenty degrees. So uh, that's just me. You know, obviously mm-hmm. different because ways entries. Are, you know, it's just uh, you hope you get in. Yeah, it's like the old days when you energy- right.
0: Will you stay at tr- trackside, or do you have to go to a training center?
2: No, I'll stay at trackside. This was the first year they've been open in a while. Uh, okay. I've been at trackside 14 years this December, and uh, the first year I come over there, they uh, it was in December, so you know they were still open in the winter. And then they they uh, when they started closing down for the winter, honestly, for a long time, I, you know I never had more than one or two horses anyway. And uh, up until the last three years, I had horses either somebody give me or something I bought dirt cheap. You know, just to stay in the game because I loved it. But I always felt like I, you know, I got the best I could out of that horse, whether the best might have been running on the bottom of Churchill and running fifth, but still, you know. Uh, but anyway, I just turned them out what I had in the winter, I'd turn out and, and then come back in spring uh, until you know, three years ago, right about four years ago, I guess, you know, things started picking up and and uh, I just I you know this I, I went to this full time I guess uh, so to speak, you know, I just devoted all my time to horse racing, and
0: I, I could think of worse things to be doing. Well,
2: <laughs> I'll tell you what, it takes balls, you know, it, it takes balls for anybody, uh, you know, I, I'm by myself, I raised my daughter, and she's, you know, grown up, moved out, and whatnot, so it's just me, I don't have a lot of overhead, you know, at home, so, yeah. you know, and I, I, I'm a risk taker, you know, I always was, and, uh, and I, I, I believe in doing something you love. You know, if you could do something you love to do and keep your lights on and keep food in your belly, man, go for it. <laughs> you know, right wow. on. It's about being rich. You know, that's good. Uh, you're, you're rich in other ways outside of just having a lot of money. So, right. you know, I'm rich. I've, I've had two dreams as a child growing up, and I've been able to live in both. So I have no complaints.
0: Outstanding. So i wish
2: rather more horses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're going to go down the horn here. We're going to throw it over to Joe. And uh, Joe, uh, you uh, you talked mm-hmm. to me TPT, but uh just just eventually bring it back to me cuz we got some things to talk about.
3: Oh yeah, a lot to cover. I, I I just want to first you know kind of let everybody in on how Frank and I got to meet initially because I would always see his name, you know, in the program and uh Kevin Kirstein uh and Frank became pretty fast friends. Kevin's on the backstretch a lot. And uh, Kevin's a huge wrestling fan. I still think he thinks it's real, uh, (laughs) honestly. And he still goes to matches to this day. And, you know, to say he's got a man crush on Frank would be an understatement. (laughs) Uh, And and he would always tell me he's like this guy's background. You got to call him trailer park trash on the air like, and I had never met Frank before, and I'm gonna start calling this guy trailer park trash. You know, so I'm like, okay, I'll go along with it. Kevin knows him. This is cool. It's something different. Horse racing needs more personality. You got a guy that was a former wrestler that's a, that's a trainer. Uh, you know, I, I like having fun on the air. I'm gonna play this up. So, probably two or three different times he had horses in, I'm calling him trailer park trash, you know. His name is Jerome yes. on the program. He goes by Frank. We like to call him Trailer Park Trash, blah, blah, blah. And I get to Fairgrounds, and I get settled in. This is a couple years ago, not last year, but the year before. Get settled in there, and I get a Facebook instant message. And we're friends on Facebook, common friends with Kevin. I know who he is. I friend jockeys. I friend trainers on there all the time. And I get a message from him. And it basically says like five words. You and I need to talk. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, this guy's hearing me call, call him trailer park trash. I'm not sure what he's thinking of it, but when you get a message from anybody, I don't care if it's your significant other, your principal in high school, whatever, and it says we need to talk. That's normally not a good thing. So we needed the talk. He gave me his number. I called him up. And uh, Frank, if you want to pick up the story from there. Well, you know, it it was funny because
2: it happened to be, you know, I finally got some owner you know, a couple of owners to, to you know, invest a few bucks in me anyway and, and claim a few horses. And gift was one of them. Uh, This was the year prior. This was 2019. So, uh, you know, long story short, we finally got Gianna going in in 2020. And I had another um, mare that I took from scratch for a a real nice lady, CLR Racing, that I still have horses with. Uh, She was a homebred Indiana mare. And and I've done really good that year with both horses. And I didn't run. That's only two horses I had. And I I had 12 starts, and I think I win five and have a third. Uh, so anyway, that thought, Churchill. Gianna's gift. I think she won two. She won one on Halloween, and she won one on Thanksgiving. So I heard Joe a few times, you know, talk about trailer trash and this and that, <laughs> and, and and which didn't bother me at all. So you know, then we get to the fairgrounds, and, and I think I, you know I'd run my first horse to run down there. I heard Joe talking about it that day, saying the same stuff, you know, trailer trash, you know, blah blah blah. So the message was really was like, my concern was, I was like, man, because I know how it is in the media, and, and you know, I could tell you another quick story on that, but I thought maybe Joe might get in trouble for, you know, like, you know, are they cool with you? And that's when he called me, and that's what I thought, you know, that was my question. I was like, ain't nobody said nothing to you about saying those words? And, you know, because, you know, some people take offense to that, uh, and, So it went from there, but you know, it was a good conversation, and me and Joe's been, you know, I like to consider really good friends ever since.
3: Yeah, I'll say this.
2: When he said he was, you know, he, you know, was like, hey, you know, is everything okay? You know, he he was, you know, he was very polite, you know, but you could tell, and I wasn't even thinking that my message was, you know, menacing. Yeah, you know, it's just me, you know, if you get to know me, hell, you don't pay no attention
3: to me, I'm full of shit. <laughs> well, let me, let me say this real quick, I wasn't being polite, I was just scared, <laughs> okay, first of all, and then second of all, when you said, yeah, man, it's cool, and you explained yourself, man, I just took a deep breath, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I was, I, so, and yeah, and then we went out and had a couple beers, and, you know, Frank's very uh friendly with, you know, the Foley family, Travis, and obviously my relationship with Travis has built over the years, and our crew the last few years down at Fairgrounds, you know, Travis Foley, Frank, uh, either Brian Natto or Kevin Kilroy, and then uh, John G. Dooley, of course, and we got our own little crew of people that like to hang out, but uh, yeah, just an interesting introduction, and you know, ever since that time, I mean, Frank's a fascinating guy, great horseman, and uh fun to hang out with. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, you said it, buddy. I'm, you know, proud to call you my friend.
2: Well, you know, and, and a lot of good things come from that conversation because not only, you know, did we become friends, but, you know, I got to meet John Dooley. And, you know, I met a lot of people through you that, you know, I really, you know, I just, you know, uh, I, I'm fortunate to have, a, in my opinion, a lot of really good friends in the, in the game. Um uh, you know, the Foley's are like my racing family, you know. Greg was, I uh, love Travis and Alex and, and all that. And, and, but Greg, back in the day when I first come around, uh, Churchill anyway, you know, Greg was one of the few that you know would talk to me, not you know just kind of like you know who the hell are you kind of you know arrogant pricks and and, and whatnot and. and You know, they had, uh, I remember when you walked right outside of the paddock, right, if if you went out towards the winter circle in that little section, uh, where there's restrooms on the left, bed windows, but anyway, there was a bar there, and at one time it was called Foley's Corner, and, you know, it was named, I don't know if it was named after Greg or his dad, but, you know, it was called Foley's Corner, and I had many drinks back the day with Greg in Foley's Corner, you know, so that's... So our relationship kind of started years ago. Just, you know, I always respected Greg because he respected me and didn't know who the hell I was. You know, and, and I remember stuff like that. And, and then I got to know Alex and, and Travis especially. And, man, we just all got to become good friends.
3: Yeah, we're going to miss you in New Orleans though, for sure this year. Uh, a <laughs> couple couple questions. Should I go on with a couple questions? Or of to shit? you want to get into his background a little bit? Like, how does a wrestler become a horse trainer?
2: Amen. Uh, or You want me to explain that now? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what, and I'm not going to get it too much into my personal life. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't have the greatest of childhoods, and I'll leave it at that. But the, uh, my best memories as a child was my grandfather. I love my grandfather and still, to, you know, to this day, and, might tear up just talking about him but he, he you know he loved me and and he had a couple of horses you know back in the day he was small too he just had one or two but uh you know i think it was because of some other illegal gambling operations as in a bookie uh you know i ain't supposed to say that but you know, <laughs> but anyway, okay I, I think that's why about you know back in those days he had a horse or two it just kept him close to all his clients you know uh but anyway he he's you know, before I was born he he, he run down at Miles Park and uh things like that. But but anyway, just growing up as a little kid I spent every weekend with my grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. on my father's side. And, and 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 you know, just my grandfather I as a little kid, you know, I was always at the racetrack with him. And then um as a little kid, too, the big thing around here was wrestling on Saturday mornings at 12 noon. On uh, Back then, Wave 3. We only had three channels. That's no right. cable yet. Uh, so, you know, always Saturdays, whether he had a horse in or not, he'd make sure to get me back home. And my grandma always had us a brunch, a late breakfast. We'd eat that. And he if he had to go back to track, he'd go and I'd sit there, and watch wrestling. You know, I didn't miss my wrestling. So I grew up, you know, I always had dreams of uh, – At first, my dream was to be a jockey, and my my grandfather, when I was about six, told me I was already too big for that. Um, So I I remember having a tricycle and riding around in the backyard like I was riding trotters. (laughs) 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 So it was just my grandfather, you know, I was always around horses with my grandfather and watch wrestling, and that was my two dreams growing up, to either be a wrestler or, you know, be involved in the horse business some way or another. Cool. And I, uh, you know, first thing was being a wrestler and I, uh, I chose that honestly because I knew I didn't have the patience for this game, you know, at that age. You know, that was the smartest decision I made. You know, I knew I didn't have the patience for it at that time. So, you know, I got into wrestling. I went to wrestling school and, you know, it just went on from there. We would, uh, started at Danity Davis in Jeffersonville, Indiana. It was Nightmare Incorporated. School of Professional Wrestling, you know, I started, I was one of his first students, you know, Danny was an old-timer, had been on the road for years, and and uh, that's kind of where I cut my teeth, and about a year later,
3: went to work worked for Jerry Lawler in Memphis, Tennessee, and, you know, just went on from there, man. I want to know, like, during your wrestling career, when you were traveling overseas and all that stuff, you still had a love of horse racing, would you be like, you know, Kentucky Derby Day, getting ready for a match, and like, gather all the wrestlers around to watch the race or what? Well, well,
2: man, it was hard, you know, back then, because we didn't all have cell phones or anything. You know, the cell phones wasn't near as, you know, didn't everybody have a cell phone in those days? Uh, and, and those that did, you, you know, if he was overseas, you were screwed anyway. You know, um, so it was kind of a lot of times, man, you know, it depended on where I was at, but I always really remember missing four derbies where I didn't at least get to listen to on a, uh, the radio or something, and 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 those four particular times, I didn't, like, three days later before I found out who won. You know, it depends on where you're at, you know. Um, that, that was the biggest part about that, but I always tried to follow it. Like, you know, I've been to Japan a couple of times, did a couple of tours over there, and and you know went to the to the racetrack there. Even though you know to me it was com- it was the first time I seen anything like that. You know it was just completely different uh to me. You know the way you know running counterclockwise and people uh, you know, they didn't really you know although you know I've never had a problem in Japan is like they love Americans, but you know I can't read a racing form in and, and, you know their language. You know. <laughs> but it was both an experience. Though. So anytime. Uh, really, out of the country, Japan and Puerto Rico is really the only two places I got to visit racetrack that I had time for. And and mainly that's because, like in Puerto Rico, I think I, I lived there six months. So, it, but, 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 you know, answer your question, it, it was kind of hard sometimes. Like I said, because back then, cell phones wasn't that popular. They weren't that cheap. And that's why they weren't that popular yet. And uh, other than that, you know, you still had the old school phones in the house or, you know, try to find somebody that had an old, uh, one of them old computers and you try to get on and see what
3: the hell happened. I've seen a lot of your wrestling videos, you know, on YouTube, you can Google, you know, trailer park, trash, whatever. And, you know, there's, there's some, there's some pretty intense videos on there. Uh, I heard about a time when you, you jumped out of the ring and onto the concrete floor and actually broke your hip oh, and you still <laughs> continued on during the match i mean uh, how did you how did you manage that well you know
2: wrestling today even though i don't like it you know it, it's it's a different day and age you know it's the new generation's cup of tea so i i don't down it by any means you know it's just not my my cup of tea but in my day i was still trained and brought in old school and the old school way, um, you know, you won't want it to keep your job. And unless, honestly, unless you had bones protruding, you, uh, you finished the match, you know, you, because, you know, really when the people that's involved, that's booking and setting the storylines and booking the matches, you know, if you're not around, if you're sitting at, if you're sitting at home crying because you're hurt, if they don't see you around, they're not going to write you in. Well, they don't write you in, you ain't got a job. You ain't got a job, you ain't got no money. So, you know, you just work through that shit, man. It's just, uh, you sucked it up. But but we were brought in the old school way, you know, uh, training-wise. You know, you were toughened up before anything else was ever taught to you. You know, they just beat the shit out of you for six months. And those that stayed, then they started teaching you things. But, you know, those that went out and cried and went home and said, oh, this shit hurts, you know. That those are the guys they wanted to get rid of anyway. Uh, it's a completely different ball game now. But, but you know, we was just toughened up, man. And you'd be surprised if you train your body how much punishment your body could actually take, you know. Uh, I'm paying for it now. But, you know, <laughs> but back then, man, we, we was having fun. You know, we were just having fun. We were making money, having fun, living the lives of rock stars. And, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't shit, you know, be working together the next night. And, hey, man, you know, let's be careful with that, you know. Uh, but other than that, go on. But, yeah, the night I broke my hip was at the Louisville Gardens, uh, obviously Louisville, Kentucky. It was a uh, one of the guys I loved like a brother in the wrestling business, a guy named Flash Warrior. And me and him got to really got to working those, uh, you know, the, they call them the hardcore matches where you use tables, ladders, chairs, all that bullshit. So, I mean, we got to – because, you know, we really loved each other as friends and brothers, and we trusted each other, and that was one of the biggest things. You know, if you're trusting a guy not only with your body but your life, you know, you guys can put on a hell of a match, especially if the feeling's mutual. And we would just go out there way lay it, man, just beat the shit out of each other with everything. And, you know, me and him both had the same scenario. You know, all these people bought a ticket might think this shit's not real. But when they leave tonight, they're going to say, man, that one fucking match was real. <laughs> 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 it was. We just didn't hate each other. You know, we just wanted to make people believe. And, man, we would beat the shit out of each other. And, and But that particular night, I wanted to do this deal where, you know, we had just a regular, I feel, uh what, three by six bingo tables. You know, folding tables. Wooden mm-hmm. tables. And in my cheap ass, the office had given me the money to go out and buy a new table. Well, you know, in those days in the wrestling business, you was looking to make every dollar you can. So instead of, you know, they give me like 60 bucks. So instead of going out and buying a new table, I go to the old church down the road and get them to donate me an old bingo, bingo table for free. So I done made 60 bucks. <laughs> Plus you know, my payoff for the night and sell pictures and all that shit. You know, we always done pretty good. But anyway, I well, like hell, I made 60 bucks right off the bat just over his fucking table. But, but the son bitch wouldn't stand up. <laughs> <laughs> and we do have done this until we, we're in the match and we're going and the deal was, you know, we're going to stand the table up on the floor and I'm going to climb to the top rope and go to do my leg drop and then Flash is going to move and I'll go through the table. But the table and, you know, the legs were like broke. They wouldn't Every time you set it up, it fall down. So we had to work around it, and then and, and we finally got it to where it would stand. And it's funny, if you look, you know, I've got the video. I don't think this is one video that's online anywhere. But, you know, at some point, Kevin, actually, Kevin Kirsten took, uh, I gave him the video and last year, and he downloaded it and was supposed to get one of the computer geniuses in there to uh, get it online. But anyway, you know, if you look at the video, Flash is just, kind of not even touching the table, but kind of looking like he's hovering over it, you know, because if you breathe on this motherfucker, it's going to fall. So I I climb up to the top of the rope anyway. I jump off and he moves. And, you know, when I hit the table, it just like the table breaks, but it don't break my fall because the leg folds up underneath it as soon as I hit it also. So, like, the back of the table smacked the back of my head and knocked me out for about a minute. And that's where I got one of my many concussions but when I landed, I, I just kind of landed in a sitting position on the concrete floor, you know, probably 20 feet from the air. And, and, but, you know, the thing is, your dribbling is pumping and flowing so much. A lot of times you don't feel the shit when you do it. You know, it's after the fact. So, you know, I was still able to finish the match, which went much longer after that. Once I woke up, you know, the referee kept, instead of counting me out, he kept kind of uh you know, fucking with the count and have to recount again because, you know, he knew I was fucked up. And that wasn't the finish of the match. So, uh once I finally was able to get in the ring, finish the match block, honestly, I didn't know it was the next day. And that it, it wasn't until I got up in the morning and went to go use the bathroom and sat on the toilet. And then that's, it, you know, I come off at some screaming, holy hell. <laughs> oh, and, man. Yeah. But, you know, that was the biggest thing, man. When you got injured, you... uh your adrenaline's pumping so much, especially if you're out there in front of, you know, the little garden because we used to sell that place out. And I think it helped 6,000 people, you know, for a little small-town promotion. That was killer. And, uh, and then people get there going. Like I said, there's lives, you know, lives of rock stars, man. But a, a different
3: day. What about, uh what is better, your record first off the claim or your record in the boxing ring? <laughs>
2: Well, my, my record in the boxing ring is all, oh, I think it's all for seven. Cause I did, I did do a little, uh, Stavitz boxing up in, the in, uh, St. Louis. You know, I was one of the guys, they want to build a uh, great record for this guy. They're trying, you know, pump his record, make him look good and move him up quick. You know, I'd go in there and take a fall after two or three rounds, take one punch, go down, don't get up. Uh, so that was all for seven there. And I have win. I know of at least one off the claim, so and honestly, that was jurisdiction back in the spring. You know, I'm just not a first off the claim, you know, stats wise. I guess not a big first off the claim trainer, and a lot of that is me wanting to take the time with my horse more than anything. So,
3: yeah, I mean, from experience as a handicapper, you guys can probably speak to this too. Almost every horse that I've seen in your care. And sometimes you take a little bit of time with them, but you've improved on just about everything that I can remember and improved and maximized those horses. So I think that's a credit uh, to your horsemanship. Uh, I remember asking you to go out to dinner a couple, uh, I think it was two seasons ago. It might, might have been last season. And we, we had plans. We were all supposed to go out and we're all hanging out messaging you texting you and stuff and you just never showed up and texted later and basically said you had a sick horse and you had to stay with the horse. So when you talk about, you know, being hands on with them, I think you take it to an extreme, which is, is only a positive. I've always wondered since I've known you and I've asked asked you this question before, like there are a lot of trainers who have become assistants. David Carroll comes to mind, Greg Geyer comes to mind. They got really good jobs with top operations. And, you know, it's hard, you know, to, to be a trainer. You get good horses, you improve on them, Frank, and then people are inevitably going to claim them away from you. Have you ever thought about going that route and becoming Greg Foley's top assistant or becoming somebody else's top assistant? Because it would take a lot of pressure off of you and you would do a hell of a good job. Well, you know, I guess my problem
2: would be, you know, I've thought about that, yes. I've thought about several different things, you know, because uh, being a trainer in this business is, is, uh, you know, it's never impossible anyway. Uh, You know, I'm going to say, I don't know the stats, I'm throwing out numbers, but 90% of us, at least I think, countrywide are. Just poor broke some of a bitch bitches struggling because we love the game and we love horses. Uh, then you got your ten percent that's you know you got you know the guys that excel Brad Cox Steve Ashley you know, uh, but also and not taking nothing away from those guys but those guys get the horses too, and you know you still better know what you're doing with them. But you know it, it, to me it's got to make it a lot easier when you get a lot of of the nice very well bred horses in the country each year uh than you do guys like me you're struggling getting somebody's garbage they call it which i don't because i love all my horses all my horses are treated the same i don't care what it's worth um i love my horses man i, I got honestly it's it, it's keeps me going you know uh this isn't common knowledge but you know it's no big bullshit but i suffer a lot from depression from my uh, concussions and uh Sometimes when I'm, you know, it's well, it's the hardest thing to do get up. But once I get up and get to the barn, man, and I'm with my horses. I'm I'm good, but, you know. And so my horses, don't, they help me in a lot of different ways. But uh, man, I don't know. You know, being an assistant for somebody is just if they leave me alone, I think I'd be fine. Hmm. But. but you know, and it's no damn secret anymore for the last couple of years. You know, i say the Follies are like my racing family, and uh, Greg's been sending me some of his overflow, uh, which I, you know, I feel like we've done very good with, honestly. And, uh, but, you know, the thing is, Greg, Greg says nothing to me, you know, and, and that's why it works so well, you know, but it's the, 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 the these races these horses have run is often so, so proved that, you know, I'm doing my job. And, and but, you know, we got to trust there that, you know, he'll call me every day and tell me this is what he wants to do and this and that. And, and a few other people that I help out, you know, I don't have a lot of horses. So, uh, sometimes, you know, i take horses for other guys and help them out and when they get their overflow and it helps me out. Uh, uh, but it's not just me, man. I've got a, I've been very fortunate in the last few years to have a, a great team with me. Uh, so be it not a big team, but you know, it's not just me by any means. Uh, they, they're, they're just every bit as big as a part of it. And, but you know, we've done actually pretty good in the last three years. You know, the record speaks for itself, I guess, uh, with what we've had, you know, uh, hopefully someday we will get better horses, but I just don't know if I'd make a good assistant. You know, I just, it's the fact of somebody telling me what to do. You know, <laughs> I'm, uh, I've always kind of worked for myself, uh, one way or another, the wrestling business or this or whatever, but you know, it's just, you know, I'm the type that if I don't know what I'm doing or I have questions, trust me, I'm going to ask. You know, at the racetrack, I still learn something every day. I don't ever believe or claim to know at all, much less anything. I I believe you should learn every day, and I do. Good or bad, I learn something.
3: Yeah, I'm going to pass the uh, baton back over to you, Cece, to play point guard. Maybe a question or two toward the end of this, uh, but I'm good for now.
0: Okay. Well, Alan, do you have anything you want to add?
3: A couple
1: quick ones, and I'll I'll let you have it. But um, first off, you know, I got called Trailer Park Trash when I was winning all those spelling bees in grade school, so I had the same <laughs> nickname. Uh, so, you know, it's an intimidating factor, intimidation factor. Uh, so I got to ask you real quick before we move on. How, did you come up with the name, or did someone Dan, give you the name, Trailer you know, Park
2: Trash? You know, Danny Davis, my mentor and trainer there in Jeffersonville, uh You know, he wrestled USWA, which was, uh, Memphis territory, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Jarrett, and that's for years. But anyway, uh, if Danny really, really liked you, uh, as far as, you know, your work you know, if he thought you would, you wouldn't embarrass him, I guess would be the best way to say it, then he would try to get you, uh, you know, at least get you one spot with Lawler in Memphis, you know. and whatnot so honestly at the time my name was jack Slater, s-l-a-y-e-r jack Slater. i like that too and uh you know bad guy so i had long scraggly hair man you know for a young guy you know i, I looked like i was 50 but you know my, my gold teeth was just long and you know everything was outgrown looked shabby and looked like shit so, uh, Danny calls me up, and, and honestly, I just hurt my knee uh, pretty bad. A few days before, Danny called me up on a Thursday night and he said, How's your knee? I said, Oh, shit, it sucks. You know, can't even walk on some bitch. And he said, Well, that's a shame because I got you booked on TV with all our Saturday me- morning in Memphis. And I was like, Shit, I'll be there. <laughs> I was brought up old school. Fuck it, knee. You know, <laughs> I'll inject this I'll something, and you know, I'll do something. We'll be good. So anyway, I get to Memphis that morning. You know, uh, we had a me and the guy, another guy that was booked for for Memphis. We had a show Friday night. I think it was in Evansville, Indiana. And we went to did the show in Evansville, and then we left there and just drove through the night to Memphis. And so we get to Memphis, and Lawler calls me in his office, and he looks at me. He said, "Man, you look like shit." <laughs> 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 you know, I've been driving all night, and hey, you know, it ain't like I'm groomed or anything. You know, I'm frankly, and he said, I'm going to call you Trailer Park Trash." Oh, you so know. Jerry Lawler did it. Yeah, Jerry Lawler gave me the name, and, and uh, you know, hell, I didn't care. There's a, a paycheck behind it. You call me whatever the hell you want. You know, this shit ain't real anyway. Preach, you know? Preach brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I looked at it, man, but it took off, man. You know, that very day, my first time on TV, uh, and this was what reminded me about asking Joe if he called any hell or you know, calling my name like that on, on, uh, on, you know, on on the TV or whatnot. And uh, because we actually, they filmed wrestling down there. The the wrestling you've seen in this area, you know, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Jarrett, shit was filmed Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. at WMC-TV5 in Memphis. So it was actually at a TV station. So, when, when, you know, when they did my segment, uh, we actually shut the switchboards down because of all the people calling and complaining that, you know, they live in a trailer and they're not trailer park trash, you know, shit like that. So that that just that rocketed me right off the bat, yeah, because uh, of the you know the heat we got from it. And yeah, board. Jerry, gave me the name.
1: That's awesome. You know, um, I know. Did anybody ever tell you you look like somebody famous? 'Cause I was looking at your picture and it's gonna be on when we put this on. Hold, hold
2: on one second. I you know how many years I've been told I look like this guy and actually okay. in the wrestling business they tried to get me to dress up in the blue blazer and and you know, shave because they okay. swear I look like cousin Eddie. Yes. That's it. You look <laughs> like Randy Quaid. How many times have I heard that?
1: I did, I was wondering because I was doing a little research today, and I got that one picture of the still frame of you. I was like, "Son of a bitch, that's Randy Quaid."
2: And uh At one time, me. they tried to get me to shave and, and cut my hair and get out the blue blazer. And they tried to get me to basically be the cousin Eddie. You know, you should have done it. But I, I wouldn't go for it. I probably should have now, but you know, I would. You know, it didn't matter. You know, I accomplished everything I wanted in that business and, and lived a life I'd have never lived. Sure uh, without that business. But yeah, they, at one time they wanted me to do that. And and then a lot of guys for a lot of, for a long time, you know, my nickname was, you know, Cousin Eddie. Uh,
1: Going to give Randy Quaid a shout out real quick since we're talking about this. He's one of the most underrated (laughs) comic actors there is. Uh, if you've seen quick change or you've seen vacation or you've seen Kingpin, which I think is one of the funniest movies of all time, Randy Quaid's. So that's the ultimate compliment to me, uh, to be, uh, to be, references that whatever. So I'm glad I'm not the only one so you've heard that numerous times
2: huh I, I, like I said they tried to get me to do the Randy Quaid gimmick in the wrestling business you know they, they thought if I shaved my mustache and goatee got a haircut put on a blue blazer I was Randy Quaid but you know it was uh, you know I've heard that many times man and, and
3: uh you know I always loved Randy
2: Quaid I loved his acting uh you know obviously he's not doing well uh, personally no, he- but no, uh, you know, as far as an actor and whatnot, you know, there wasn't too many better. I mean, yeah, uh, the sitter's full, man. How much? sitter's <laughs> <Get the laughs> full. <laughs> Get the full. Merry Christmas. You know? <laughs> i I will let CC take over now under the
1: under the guideline that he asks about one of my favorite horses, and I know one of yours, Gianna's gift. So is that a deal, CC? Will you be asking about Gianna's gift?
0: Yeah, well, let's knock that out first because uh yeah, she's a. Uh, she's got to be one of the most well-known runners in the circuit. Uh,
1: $300,000 right
0: under his care, right? Uh, she always brought her A-game. Tell us about Jesus' G- gift. She was a fantastic filly.
2: Man, she, uh, you know, the thing with her, the, the people that claimed her was first-time owners, uh very good friend of mine, a guy I grew up with, uh, Brent Wise, you know, consider each other brothers, you know uh it's funny how kind of, i kind of got started i was wanting to go to the derby uh 2019 and uh it was hell i don't want to go by myself so you know who can i bring back here who's never been back here before you know so i called my buddy up you know a few days before hey man you know you and your wife want to come and i knew her we all grew up in the same neighborhood uh but, you know, I wouldn't, you know, didn't grow up with her as far as grow up friends like me and him did. But, you know, him and her later on married. Uh, but anyway, so they come to the Derby and we're hanging out and have a good time. And, you know, they're questioning stuff and stuff. And, and I'm always honest with everybody. You know, he's like, man, what's it take to get in this and whatnot? And I said, man, you know, I said, if you don't have money to blow, don't think, don't think about it, you know. And, and uh, you know, I explained to him, I said, thank, you know, I said, look at, you know, if you got a little savings, if you got some money in there that you're willing to just lose, you know, obviously that's not your ultimate goal. But, you know, I'm just trying to tell him my friend, don't, you know, it's horse racing, man. It's like anything else. It's a gamble. Uh, so, you know, don't take your damn house payment money and car payment money and get you horse. So anyway, that's kind of how I got started. And he's like, man, I think we got you know eight or ten thousand we can play around with and have some fun anyway so i was like cool so i think we dropped on a couple and got shook and, and then uh uh i went to shake with her and it was just a two-way shake but i liked her because she had run the main reason i liked her i like the fact I, I like horses by the factor i just like them and, and uh that was one reason and she had run second like uh, you know, last start or the start before at Gulfstream for twenty five on the turf. You know, so I thought, well, she, you know, looks like on paper so far she's only won uh, two races. But, you know, I thought, well, she likes the turf and blah, blah, blah. So, anyway, I would drop the her. We got her. And, and the funny part of it was, a day or two later, whenever the, uh, the owner come over and seen his horse, he's like, man, you wasted my $8,000 on that? <laughs> <laughs> she was small. Uh, she wasn't a big horse, but she was also real skinny, you know. And I'm like, man, just give me some time on this horse. She needs TLC, you know. Just for whatever reason, I like the horse, you know. And uh and but they stuck with us, you know. We the first year uh we run her, I we ran her back. To her next start, we actually I think it was the last cheapest race they ran on the turf at Churchill, but I think it was for like 32 maybe. And she ran, if I remember right, like a not a bad fifth, you know. So I was like, hell, you know, hell, she tries anyway. and uh, But that year, the rest of the year, we basically got enough out of her to cover the bills. And, uh, you know, I suggested, you know, let's turn her out for the winter. Because, like I said, up until that point, that's what I did. Uh, we tried to her turf wave once. Didn't seem, to, you know, for 8000 And didn't seem to, like, really the poly track. So, you know, I was like, let's turn her out. So we bring her back uh, February of 2020 then the COVID shit hits. So my other good mayor I had that we had just brought in, Indiana mayor, April's No Fool, she uh you know, after four or five weeks, there was no word of when trackside was gonna open up, let us back in, you know, it was just havoc. So we decided to just turn April on and back out. And me and Brent and us got together and at this point like that that that's the year twenty twenty or 2019 when I decided to just do this full time anyway uh, and try to build, you know, a little barn instead of just having one or two horses. So anyway, we just, uh, so we just kept her at high point, you know, I just kept going after her every day. Uh, I, our hour and 20 minute drive for me, but I just kept plugging along until they finally opened the track side. But, and then we run her once after the layoff and I, <coughs> I was pissed off. I was like, man, I'm missing something. I said, there's something, man, this horse runs real, this horse can run better than that because she didn't run that good. So, uh, had the vet come over and, uh, we went over and really couldn't find much. But then, uh, you know, I had another vet come over and we decided to do an internal blister on the rear end. And, man, after that, she just, different horse, you know, she, uh, we put a lot of weight on her because she was, you know, really underweight when we got her, and uh, just made her happy, man. You know, as far as any any kind of physical uh, veterinarian work or anything like that, that's all we did. Uh, and after that, man, she just she started running. Well, you know, <laughs> it was just keep her happy and keep her fit, and you know, try to keep her in the right spot. And she started just started clicking them off and did it for. The thing is, she just didn't do it for. You know, three or four races, shit. I mean, up until I lost her, she gave her heart out every time.
0: That was your first win at Keeneland with her.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I I don't know really the stats, but I don't think I've run there maybe ten times or so. You know, so it's over the years because normally, you know, it's just I like to try to give my. You know, I, I might pamper my horses a little too much, but you know, I like to give them breaks and I try to pick. You know, Keeneland. The money might not be as good as Churchill, but Keeneland, I think, is tough. It's not tougher because people want to win there. You know, I'm like, man, that'll be the month. I'll give my horses a little bit of break, and we'll gear up for the Churchill meet. You know, uh, and that's kind of been my normal mo forever. So I haven't really run there a lot, but it, it was it was bittersweet, though. You know, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought to, because you know, I had that I had that mare three and a half years. Uh, she was a special little horse, man. She, she just, it, it got to where I, you know, I just, I knew her so well, you know, it's just, but, you know, it got to the point, um, uh, she has no conditions. She's not eligible for the starters no more, you know, Runner for 32 at Churchill back in the spring. She wasn't good enough. You know, what do you do? You know, she's seven years old, getting ready to be eight. She's been a good horse, uh. You know, time to move on. And we just, you know, I hadn't run her for a few months. And honestly, that's just because we couldn't get her in. I entered her for 10 at Churchill in September. We couldn't get her in. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. It's just we wanted to get another win with her, and hopefully she went to a good home. Honestly, I figured somebody had to climb her to breed her. And if my owners had a little bit different set up and, and, and the better means to doing it, you know, my suggestion was this year anyway, Would if we still had her at the end of the year, it was her last year you know, let's breed her, you know, do something, but, you know, retire from racing because she's been a good horse; She deserves it. But financially, you know, you still got to try to make your owner's money and, and run your horses where they belong. So we did. And luckily she gutted it out and win one and, you know, we lost her. So that win was bittersweet, you know, even for John, you know, John Court wasn't even, you know, he was, he was the same way. It was just, you know, glad we win with her going out, but hated to lose her, man. She was just a, a tough little filly. you know.
0: You're a big fan of John Card. I know he's won two races for you this year.
2: Yeah, I've won more with John than probably anybody, I guess. Which, you know, uh, me and John, you know, we're just good friends. And, and I, you know, there's a few times I haven't used him for whatever reason, but it wasn't ever my faith, losing my faith in John. It's just so, you know. There might be a certain horse, I just don't think fits his riding style. Uh, But other than that, man, John's my go-to guy because, you know, we trust each other. Uh, You know, John's very uh, happy with my horsemanship and and knows I'm not going to put you on something that, uh, you know, the last thing you got to worry about, you know, is is what's wrong with this horse because there's nothing wrong with it. You know, if there is, I'm not putting you on it, so... We uh, we get along really good that way, and we become friends over time. You know, John's a really good guy. And we we
0: get along really good together. All right, let's take it back to the wrestling ring now. I got some questions for you, and then we want to get to what Brandon said about you earlier today. But uh, uh, Frank, were you in the wrestling world? A face is a is a hero, and a, and a heel is a villain. So, what what were you? Were you both, or just whatever the no. situation can call for?
2: I started off as the villain, uh, obviously because I didn't have a six pack and, and wasn't tanned and a blonde hair and pretty boy. Uh, I was more your rugged, you know, street thug looking guy. So um, I started off as a bad guy, and, and then, like I said, in, in their in little area or in, in Indiana, and then when I went to work for Lawler, I was still, you know, throwing park trash was still a bad guy, but. Then uh Danny Davis got an idea of turning me to be a good guy. And and everybody, you know, you're fucking nuts. You know, trash, you know, blah, <laughs> blah, blah. And and I I was still green as grass at the time, you know, I'm just doing what I'm told, you know, and it's but it's working. And Danny told me, you know, saying these, man, just do what I tell you, you know, and, and this is gonna work, trust me. And in theory, in the wrestling business, in order to be a good guy, they they really had to hate you as a bad guy. You know, it, in my day, there was a lot of psychology put into the business. Uh, uh, you know, that's how you was able to work a match and get the people to respond how you want it by your actions. So, you know, and if, you was, if they loved you as a good guy, if you turn bad, they're going to hate you that much more. So, Danny, you know, Danny worked the program, and, and next thing you know, you know, fuck, I'm a good guy, and people's cheering my name, go, trash, go, and I'm selling pictures, and, you know, it's, it's <laughs> rocking rolling from there, baby. And, and you know, and the thing is, uh, other than outside the United States, and especially this area, uh, that, that was it. I mean, I was, they tried to turn me bad one time, but the people still stayed behind me. They, you know, they wouldn't, you know, I tracked this guy in the head with a fucking chair. And, and hit him with it wrong, and he him getting 32 staples in his noggin, and, and this guy was supposed to be a family member. The people still share money, you know. <laughs> so it just didn't work, you know. So we just, you know, after that, I was just I was a bad guy, or I mean a good guy.
0: Which did you prefer?
2: Made more money as a good guy because, uh, you know, you just sell pictures. You know, back then you sold pictures, T-shirts, whatever kind of gimmicks you come up with. You make more money as a good guy, but you had more fun as a bad guy. Right. Because, man, you can walk out there and do and say whatever you want just to really piss somebody off and dare them to cross that barricade. Because by law, if they cross the barricade, then you can beat the living shit out of them and not get in any trouble.
1: <laughs> I didn't <laughs> know that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, same as, you know, boxing, ring, anything, you MMA. You cross that barricade and you get in our world and we could do what we want, and you can't sue us. Uh You know, in fact, after you get your ass whooped and get out of the hospital, you go to jail.
0: So, uh, one of the first podcasters I ever heard of, when I found out that that was even a thing, is Jim Cornette, and I think he's <laughs> a pretty popular podcast. And he's from Louisville. And mm-hmm. I think you worked. I don't know if you worked for him or with him or or what. What was he? He seems fairly high strung. <laughs> and I'm very serious about the game. What he like? What was he like to be with, be around?
2: Fairly high strung, that's putting it lightly. Uh you know, me and Jimmy don't agree on certain things, politics, stuff like that, but I love Jimmy to death. Jimmy, you know, I always knew of him growing up. You know, he was a, a heel manager in in, in Memphis and uh, on the WWF and whatnot, but uh Danny, was good friends with him, and at the time, Jimmy was uh, the main writer for WWF, uh, Monday Night Raw, blah, blah, blah. But he wasn't happy at all. He's living in Connecticut. He hated it up there. You know, I uh, think he was getting divorced. You know, he grew up here and his mom still lived here. So Danny kind of got with him into coming and helping us out a little bit. And next thing you know, before you know it, Jimmy buys into the company and and, uh, You know, not long after that, we get the WWE contract for being their developmental territory, which means we started training their recruits and stuff. So I met Jimmy, you know, he came down and did a couple commercials for us, and that's when I first met him. Uh, But it went long after that, he just became a part of the company, and and it was great. I mean, Jimmy's, you know, I learned so much from Jimmy, Danny Davis, and Rip Rogers, uh, and different things from each guy. That Jimmy is, Jimmy is all about wrestling. Lives it, breathes it, grew up it. Uh, and probably one of the smartest men in the wrestling business. But he has a temper. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy can uh, Jimmy can fly off the handle, and things could get pretty. Uh, if you're involved, could get pretty ugly. But if not, you can sit back and laugh and have a good time, and watch the fireworks. I remember one night at the Louisville Gardens, he got pissed off because they hadn't unlocked his dressing room door yet. So, and they were steel steel doors at, at the Louisville Gardens, and Jimmy took a chair and, and beat that son of a bitch until he finally got it open. I think it cost me back then about eight hundred bucks to replace the door, but that's that's kind of you know Jimmy would fly off the handle, but I love him to death, but, you know. And we got on great. I don't ever remember having a problem with Jimmy ever. And in fact, later on in years when I uh, when I went back and took over OVW, uh, I run the road shows, I wrote TV. Uh, basically, I run the company, uh, it's, you know, at one point for quite a while. And uh, Jimmy helped me out a lot, you know, showing me how, how to write the TV format and, you know, uh, things like that. You know, as far as the set show up, I was good, but I didn't know nothing about production and all that shit. So uh, Jim, Jimmy taught me a lot. I mean, Jimmy just knows in, in, in and outs of everything in the wrestling business.
0: Did you ever get to meet Lance Russell? Yep. What was Fortunately, he-
2: Fortunately, uh, you know, Lance had done retired, but when I got my job with Lawler, uh, there, there was a while there, they brought Lance back for a while. And it, you know, that was the highlight of my life to hear Lance Russell introduce me, man. That was, you know, cause I come out and did an interview with Lance and Jerry Lawler. And, uh, it was one after just one of my first few TV shows down there, and that that was the greatest thing to be standing there with two guys I grew up watching, you know, and then now I'm standing there with them on TV. That was that was awesome.
0: What was he like behind the scenes?
2: Good old guy, no different. I mean, actually, no different. Just a good old boy, Like to smoke his cigarettes, and just a good great guy. Cool,
0: that's awesome. All right, so we can't go any further. I, I have to read you what Brandon. Uh, had told me earlier today and I want to get your reaction. Uh, uh, Brandon Jaggers is, of course, he's, he's co-host of ours. He, he's a, he's a good friend. His Brandon, he's, he's, uh, he, he said this, uh, he's not very impressed by your accomplishments at the, in Ohio Valley Wrestling. He thinks your title runs were illegitimate. He <laughs> says he never bets your horses. And, and you know, if, if in the trailer park world, you're probably a single wide, not a mm-hmm. double wide. So I, I just wanted your reaction to that.
2: So first of all you know, hell I you know, I guess if he don't bet on horses, that's his loss. Uh but but what does he actually do? I mean, you know, what is he other than, you know, being a host, one of the hosts on your show. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean does he collect hands? You know? uh, name sounds familiar. I mean it really does, Brandon Jaggers. That's why, you know, that's why I started I out if know season see a janitorial on the front side of Churchill or uh, (laughs) backpackers that blow up to losing tickets after the races or or, uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, I would be more glad, I'm really a good guy to to meet and, you know and whatnot, I'd be more glad to meet him sometime Uh, you know, just hang out and say hey, you know, you know, hey tough guy but uh, (laughs) what was it you had to say and, you know you know, just just be real friendly, you know, and, and he has nothing to worry about, honestly.
1: Yeah, because in fairness, he's already Farron Peterson's already going to whoop his ass, so you ain't going to worry about it.
0: What What I was hoping to do, I'd like to move this maybe to. Do you have one more match in you? Maybe we could like schedule like a cage match in the infield at Churchill, and well, maybe just get this maybe maybe a pay per view.
2: Here's a funny thing about that, and I think yeah, I've got one more person we could add to that. We could make it a handicap match. Oh, because for two years now, Mitch Murrow's agent, uh, you know, I've just, we I've been begging him to let me chop him. Oh, you no. <laughs> One thing I'll toot my horn on, I was a master of the chop. Um, but a couple, couple years ago at the fairgrounds, uh, we're all sitting there in a little place about, you know, not far from the track. and. And, you know, Mitch, Mitch, it's about when Mitch really started picking up and winning races, man, and doing really good. And Mitch is a good kid. Uh, but anyway, Tim, Tim coming in, you know, and he's happy, obviously, and whatnot. And we're all sitting around having a good time. And and I've got, and that's kind of really first time I met him. But I got to looking at him, and I'm like, man, he's got this fat chest. You know, he's kind of got (laughs) fat titties. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I'm like, and I'd love to top that. You know, I just love to sink my hand into that fat, meaty chest of his. <laughs> so I offered him, I said, hey, man, you know, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you let me stop you. And he's like, what? You know, what? And he you know, said, huh, what? And I ain't shitting you within two minutes. He threw a couple hundred dollars down on the table and he says, here, man, I got to go, but I got all y'all's drinks. <laughs> 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 and and every since then, man, it's just been an ongoing rib. Uh you know several people's offered him more money than that hell I think uh, uh, Mike Stidham Mike Stidham got up to offer down at the fairgrounds I think last year offered him a thousand bucks to take a shirt off and take a chop <laughs> and, and he still wouldn't do it uh, yeah I don't blame <laughs> Where word where is this year you know I, even though unfortunately I don't get to go to the fairgrounds and that's really depressing um but I'm still going to try to make it down there for Super Bowl or something. And, and, uh, still I'm trying to get a, uh, a board together, you know, and get everybody to donate a little bit and just, but, but to go back to what you said, I think it worked really great. If it was two on one, maybe both of them between the two of them can grow one set of balls. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe okay. on one they have a chance.
0: Uh, I'm having trouble breathing, so I gotta, I, I gotta ask Joe or Alan, any more questions? For, no, for I'm good, brother. I'm good. What about you, I Joe? I just
3: want to ask one more, honestly. What, what's it gonna take for you, Frank, to, to take your training game to the next level when it comes to, you know, having 10 horses, getting 20 horses? I think you're an awesome horseman. I think you're super personable. We both know that you know, results speak, and I think a lot of people have taken notice of what you've been able to do with your horses, but there's a lot of schmoozing and politicking and, you know, promoting yourself, you know, involved not only in wrestling, but in being a horse trainer. Like, what what do you think you need to do? How do you find new owners? How do you get people to trust you? Because it seems like in today's day and age, everybody goes back to the same trainers. I mean, you know that we use Greg Foley and Michelle Lovell and Matt Shiver's got a horse with us. It's tough to really grow your stable. I would love to see nothing else or nothing more than to see you have a big stable. Uh Being on podcasts like this is probably, you know, helpful to some degree. But have you, have you thought about that at all? I mean, it's uh, – it, Working with the horses is such a big part of it, the most important part. But you got to find people to pay the bills too, right? Well, you're
2: exactly right. And me and you've talked about this before. Uh, I guess that's my Achilles' heel, or or you could say, you know, that's the hardest part for me is to figure out, you know, man, because like I said, and a lot of people look at your record and whatnot. And you know, my record's not bad. It's not terrible, but and it's not great. But it's not bad. But also, you know, it's kind of it takes the owner to really want to dig into it and say, okay, yeah, it's not bad, but you know, if you look at the horses he had, you know, even though they were bottom level, but look at the horses he had and what he's able to do with them. I, I, I think proving yourself is not the hardest part of this game, but being able to just promote yourself and get with the right people. And that's, uh, you know, the wrestling business, I didn't have to promote myself. They promoted me, uh, you know, so it's a little different transition, even though I've been in this game a long time. It, but it's just been really been the last few years that I've kind of feel like I've really moved it up to another level where people are taking notice. And you know, uh, I mean, let's face facts—I got you know other trainers that trust me with their horses. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, just, I, I guess it's just going to have to figure out how to self-promote myself, but keep plugging along and, and just keep doing what I do. And you know. You know, hopefully at some point, you know, some people start taking notice and, you know, say, hey, I, I did recently just pick up another owner. We're trying to get him a horse now. Uh, actually, I think now we're going after two this week. So, but still, you know, and at the same time, like I said earlier, I don't want a bunch of horses because I want to stay hands on because I just uh, mentally, my horses do so much for me. So, you know, I try to give back to them and, and uh, you know, I spoil my horse. uh." You're not going to find – I'm not saying I'm the best person that takes care of the horses by any means or any of that, but, you know, my all my horses are taken very well care of, and I have a great group of people with me. Uh, I don't call them employees, man. We're we're a team, and it's not a I thing. You know, I, I'm more like the puppet master, I guess, and you pull the strings and try to make sure everything runs smooth. But you got to have people you can trust underneath you because – you know, there's no greater feeling than being able to lay down at night and go to sleep and know your horses were taken care of because you got great people with you. But hopefully, man, I just, I get, I'll admit, I get upset at it sometimes. I'm like, damn, what more do I got to do? Because, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say this, man. It's a, uh, you know, as far as owners and everything goes, but especially as trainers, man, it's a brutal ass game. And, you know, I just love it so much. I'm going to keep plugging along and, and hopefully figure out a way to self promote and meet the right people. And you know, I just want a chance with some good horses. You know, uh, I think I proved what I can do with the lower level horses. So, you know, I think I get the best out of my horses and, and, uh, just need the better, better level horses to prove it.
0: Okay, guys. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Mr. Frank, it's been a, been a pleasure. Uh, to, to finally meet you and, and, and to, uh, to have this, uh, conversation with you and, and congratulations on the job you did with Gianna, Gianna's gift. That was, uh, uh, she's very popular with us. Uh, we've, we've been following her career for a long time, but, uh, uh, I guess before we go, any, any parting thoughts from Alan or Joe?
3: No, go ahead, Joe. Uh, I mean, the parting thought is basically the, the theme for me is, You know, I've gotten to know Frank pretty well the last few years. I have a ton of respect for him as a a person, as a horseman. And I think, you know, he checks all the boxes. Like if you're looking for a trainer that does right by the horse, is going to improve on your horse, and you can go out and have a few beers with him, uh, he's your guy. I mean, I think picking your trainers – has a lot to do not only with people that you entrust to care for your horses, but people that you feel like you click with personality wise. And also you feel like you can communicate well with them and they can communicate well with you. So when you talk about promoting products, so oh, I use this hair gel, I drink this beer, you should always promote products uh, that you believe in. And, uh, Frank buddy, I believe in you. And, uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Man,
2: I sure appreciate it, buddy. It means a lot. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I've been around the backside of Churchill anyway, 14 years next month. But the last uh, last few years, man, I've I really got to meet and and, uh, and create some very good new friends. And, and you know, man, I, I really feel blessed and. You know, obviously I want more horses and, you know, anything, it, the way I feel about it, it, I'm very blessed and anything that happens better from this point is just a bonus. Uh, but you know, I, obviously I want more horses and I can't think your kind words enough, man. You're, uh, you're a top notch guy, Joe.
0: I got to say, we joke a lot about the, uh, the Mount Rushmore of our podcast. I think, uh, I think we may have a new challenger for, uh, yes. for that session tonight. That's for, that's for sure. Watch
1: out, Michelle. Watch out. Watch out. <laughs> She's probably safe, but some of the ones on the fringes might not be. We'll see. All right, oh, you'll be alright, guys.
2: I can't thank you guys enough for having me, man. I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, you know, if I'm in a good mood and you get me going, hell, we can talk all night, but I'm already up way past my bedtime.
0: Understood. Okay, thank you, uh, Mr. Frank. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll catch you down the line at some point.
2: But, uh, yeah, and please make sure to send me a link to this, so We, you know, Get you guys out there and try to share it and get people listening. You go, brother.
0: Sounds good. All right, that's Mr. Frank Miller, everyone.
2: Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Well, I am exhausted. (laughs) Because I spent most of that interview on the floor laughing. So that was – I don't know if I've ever laughed that much.
1: Uh, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I hit the mute button a few times or whatever. Because Mr. Miller, as we knew, is a character who you could have talked – we say this a lot, but – in this instance, it's a little different. You could have talked to him for 24 hours, and there's stories I'm thinking from his wrestling days that he would have loved to have told us or whatever had he had the time. That might have made you blush or stare away in disbelief, but uh <laughs> I think we just got the tip of the iceberg of Frank Miller, and that should not take away from the fact that we actually really do believe he's a fantastic horseman, and as Joe alluded to, Give the man some horses. I mean, if you, if you paid attention to this circuit and you know what he did with Gianna's gift, that horse fired every time against really top notch starter competition. And she was Hickory and he's Hickory and a lot of fun, a lot of fun, right?
0: Yeah. I, it's funny though. If, if you go on to YouTube, I guess they call them shoot interviews with these wrestlers. These old time wrestlers, and they they get them they get them on there, and they just tell stories and and talk about who they worked with and all that kind of stuff. But that was kind of where we were going. It seemed like I mean, it, yeah. that's just millions of them. And yeah, I guess these guys just have tons of stories. And, I
1: can imagine going around the South and Mexico and Japan. We didn't even get yeah. into that. Can, can you imagine you, what happened in Mexico?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, just yeah, and and we could have done hours and hours of content with that, and it they, have been fantastic.
1: Yeah, so I know Frank's listening to this, the little uh, uh, pro- uh, epilogue, this would be an epilogue, right? Frank, you're awesome. We loved having you on, and uh, let me see that you get some horses to uh so you can further your passion. And like he said, he's lived his dream twice. He's got to be a wrestler and he's got to be a trainer. I mean, uh it's all you can ask for, right?
0: Yes, sir. All right. He, he
1: he was, he was, and Joe, uh, as always, uh, Joe Christophe helping us co-host this or whatever. Uh, we can't say enough about Joe. He's, he's a good friend, hell of a handicapper and just an amazing ambassador for the sport. We always appreciate his kind words.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, uh, let's knock this one off. All right, everybody. Uh, on behalf, let's see, on behalf of Joe Christofak, Mr. Trailer Park Trash, Brandon
1: Jaggers,
3: (laughs)
0: Alan Snyder, Dr. Joyce Brothers, and Dick Vitale. And a cast of thousands. And a cast of thousands more. I'm CC Broadus, reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.